I'm going to give you two free tips this morning. Whenever you're going to do a race, please train before you do it. I didn't do it, and I did a race yesterday, and I'm really sore. <laughs> and don't go into a race with a blister on your foot. Get it throughout the race, but don't go with one into the race. That also helps a lot. But nonetheless, let us start the study this morning. This whole week I had another lesson planned, and, but time ran out in certain ways and out. And then the Lord said, well, you did a Bible school assignment right now. Preach that. So I don't know who's marking it. Maybe Janae or Garrett or maybe Pastor Mike. But if you are marking it, I'm sorry. But the Lord said, it's okay. I can preach it. So sorry if you have to hear it again. Maybe it's to give me better marks. I don't know. But let the topic now is the dangers of non-contextual interpretation and application of the Old Testament in the, new, in the Christian's life. So that was a long one, but it's, if you interpret it in a non-context, you just take a verse out of its context from the Old Testament and apply it to the New Christian's life, the New Testament Christian's life. So that is basically that, but let us just have a word of prayer before we start this study. Father, I want to thank you this morning that we can be here again, Lord, and open your word, Lord, and please be with us now as we're going to page through your book, Lord, and teach us what you want us to teach, uh, to teach us this morning, Lord. Please take me out of the way and may, may we stay focused and go away with all these distractions, Lord, and let us stay focused in your word this morning and be changed as we leave here. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can turn to Second Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Second Peter 3, 16. Second Peter 3.16 It says there, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now that word rest isn't sleep with a W. It is, that word rest means to twist, to distort, to put to the rack, to torture, to overstretch, or dislocate the limbs. So that is basically twisting scripture. That is what that word rest means. And basically this verse describes this whole topic that we're going to discuss. It will, at the end of that verse, you can see, unto their own destruction. So that is what you will lead to if you take verses out of its context, or specifically now the Old Testament this morning, and apply it to your life and actually want to live out the Old Testament, if I can say it like that. And that will leave lead to your own destruction. That is why there is a New Testament. As we will study this, you'll see why there is a New Testament, why the Old Testament doesn't apply to us anymore. Now, the Bible, you've known this, so some of these things I will say, that is why I'm also saying is because we've done this in basic discipleship lesson one. So that's actually the basic, basic of them all. So we're going back to the first lesson. And you can turn to Second Timothy 2.15. And I think you all know this verse, but let us... Just turn to these verses so we can hear the pages. So 2 Timothy 2.15. So the Bible shows us a clear way how to study the Bible, as you should know. But let us read these verses again. 2 Timothy 2.15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And then again quickly to Isaiah 28. So basically what that previous verse says, there is a right way to divide the Bible. It's not to say, okay, now everything, just, just read it and apply it to your life. That is why there is something said. And actually there is a verse that says, study to show thyself approved. And then rightly divide the word of truth. That is why it is in the Bible. Because it's actually a command to actually do it. Because otherwise you will, it will lead to your own destruction. And in Isaiah 28 verse 9, you all know this as well. But it says, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? So we're talking about someone that needs to learn the Bible and needs to understand doctrine. And it says there, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And then verse 10, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And then, so that is basically what it's explaining, but thank God that he actually stacked it for us line upon line. It's not just a book 
I have a quote, you have a quote here, and just throw it randomly in the book. That is not how the Bible was put together. It is line upon line so you can get the context and actually learn what it actually has to say to you. Now, we are talking about non-contextual interpretation. So first of all, okay, well, I, I've Googled, well, when I did, the, did my assignment, I Googled what is non-contextual. And what it gave me is, not, uh, it gave me not context. So that was a great definition. So I understood it perfectly. So then I had to go look up what is context. And then obviously the opposite of that will be non-contextual. So let us look at what is context. Because I already explained to you what is non-contextual. It is not context. So context, it says, the definition here in the Webster Dictionary, it says, the parts of a discourse that surround a word or passage and can throw light on its meaning. So basically context gives structure to a single statement. So let's take for example, you stand here and there's trees here in front of you and see a, you see a rooster in the air. You might thought, wow, what is a rooster doing now? I mean, roosters can't fly. Now, if you go through the tree line, then you will see, oh, it's the rooster on the church building. Is that, and that building gives the rooster structure. It gives it meaning why it is in the air. It doesn't mean a rooster can fly, it's just there's something underneath it. It gives it structure, why it can be a rooster in the air. Now, a, um, a, structure, a, 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 a structure defines the statement. So if there's a statement given, you need the structure to say, okay, how did they, con how did they come up with this? Because I can tell you this morning, if you, um, if you put an ice cream outside, it will melt. Well, it is true, but if I say that in the winter, it will actually get more frozen. So you still need structure for that simple statement. You still need an explanation in the passage to say, if I, well, if I put it today in the sun, it will probably melt before I get outside. But nonetheless, it still needs structure. It still needs explanation why it will melt if I put it outside. Because if, like I said, if it was winter, that would have been false. So if I preach this in the winter and told you the story, you'll say, no, it's not possible. Because we all would have been sitting here with blankets and this thing won't be on. So, no, no, so you need structure. And then... Um, when, when people take verses out of context in the Bible, I promise you 99% of the time, the conclusion will be based on your own opinion or what works for you. It's never in a certain sense, okay, these people think this as well, so I'm, it, it must be right. It will always be, hmm, what does this mean? How can it work in my life? If, I, if, it, if it says this, okay, it will work in my life for this. So it will form part of your comfort zone. And that is what happens when you pull verses out of its context. You need the author to tell you what he was meaning when he said that. Because I promise you, there's a lot of verses. If you just look at it, it will tell you, and you will say, what in the world? But if you just look at the concept, oh, it is because these people were captured for so forth and so forth. And I think you, most of you know this by now. So when you take these verses and you apply it to your life or any statement, you will either be confused or you believe weird things like a rooster can fly. Or, in, as we will look through the study now, you will start doing strange things and weird things. Now, just another scenario to help you understand what actually context is. Let's take, for example, Pastor Mike. For not not me, I'm also Mike, but I'm not a pastor, so I'm Mike and <laughs> Pastor Mike, the one is not that is not here, our pastor. Well, when he came out of the operation, the doctor told him, "You're not allowed to talk for five to seven days, and otherwise you will damage your voice." Now, if I take that statement just to use my comfort zone, let's say I want Garrett to just stay quiet, and I'll tell him, you know what? The doctor said you're not allowed to talk. You'll damage your voice, so don't talk. See, that is how I can use it to my comfort zone. But I mean, every human being that has sense will tell me, no, I cannot do that. I mean, because the doctor said it to Pastor Mike in a special condition. After his surgery, I mean, he's allowed to talk now. So it was also just uh, applicable for him for seven days. So that is how you... Um, like I said, every human being will understand, tell me, yeah, I'm right now. That, that is correct, what I'm saying now. Then why don't you do it with the Bible? Why suddenly when it comes to the Bible, I'm like, yeah, but now I'm allowed to use this verse for this and this one for this. You still need the context. So that is why context is so important. Now, you, I'm not going to go through these questions, but you, can, you know the three questions you can ask how to get context. I'll just mention it again, but you can get this in the basic discipleship. It is the first one you can ask is who is speaking. Then to whom is he speaking and when is this happening? Well, in your own mind, you can apply it now to the scenario just about Pastor Mike. Who was speaking? The doctor. To whom? Pastor Mike. When was this happening? Well, it applied to him seven days after his surgery. So that is as simple as it is. 
and you know about the verses in that we do in basic discipleship. So that is context in a quick sense how to explain it. Now the next thing is Old Testament, also in the topic. So the first way that it is non-contextual interpretation and application of the Old Testament in the Christian's life. So now what is the Old Testament? Now there can be a lot of explanations, but I'm going to, I hope I can explain it good enough. But the Old Testament you can basically see as an old covenant for the Jews. If you want to take it quickly in a sense to what, what was it, what happened. I mean, most of it is history about the Jews. If you go through the Old Testament. Now, basically the Old Testament is a combination of writings which dates back from the beginning of time until about 33 AD. Because, as you know, in basic discipleship, the New Testament only started after Christ died, and that is about 33 AD. So it started from about 4000 BC until 33 AD. That is basically the Old Testament, and it was written by Jews as well. Now, just to go quickly through the Old Testament, it started off with the beginning of the world and the falling of mankind. Then the focus shifted to all these religious traditions of mankind, the wickedness. And then there was a reset button, the flood. And then it was basically the start of the Jewish people, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, which were in Canaan. And then a famine broke out and they had to move to Egypt. And then um, in Egypt, Joseph... um, yeah, Joseph was a ruler and, they, and his descendants was doing well until Joseph died and the new king came and he didn't know Joseph and then, and then the Jews became slaves and then Moses came, he took them out of Egypt to the wilderness and then um, Joshua came, he took them further into Canaan again and then all these external, internal pressures happened and they, they wanted a king for themselves and as the story goes on, Canaan... Um, Oh, they had a king, Saul, and then David, then Solomon. Then when Solomon died, the kingdom split. The Assyrians, um, the Jews fell under their empire, and basically from there on, the Jews never became a nation again. Then the Babylonians took Israel in exile. Then Cyrus the Great took the Jews out of it and sent them back home. Then, skipping a few stages, then Alexander the Great came. And then, basically from there on, the Greek culture, the Gentiles, all those um, moved into the Gentiles, uh, moved into the Jews, and then this led to the Jews. If they didn't follow this, it led to anguish and sufferings for them. But then the Jews stood up for this, and they won victory for a small portion of time. But then the Roman Empire kicked in, and the Jews were under their control until we know about it, because that was the end of the Old Testament writing, and then the start of the Christian era when Christ came down and so forth. So that is really quick, um, the Old Testament. But as you were, as I went through it, you can all see it was based on the Jews. It was the whole history of the Jews, how they started off as a nation and how they went through, through, the, through the history until they were under the Roman Empire and then the Christian era started. So now just by saying that, I mean all of we will sit there, okay, well then that doesn't apply to me. Well, that is true. And then actually um, halfway, through the old, oh, well, halfway through the book of Acts, it was still a little bit focused on the Jews. But then God fully turned, halfway through Acts, he fully turned his, um, his attention to the Gentiles and that's how we can have salvation now just by believing and the Holy Ghost coming, live inside of us and all those things. So that is basically the, whole test, uh, the Old Testament quickly in a nutshell. But just to take you to Luke 24, Luke 24, because now some people will say, okay, well, if I say that about the Old Testament, well, then we mustn't believe it. Then we must throw it actually away. Well, not, ne- not really true. Because let us look at Jesus' example in Luke 24, verse 44. Now, this is after Jesus has died. So basically the New Testament has started now at this point of time. So Luke 24, verse 44. It says here, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms, concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. So basically what Jesus did, he took the whole Old Testament, and he um, took them through that whole Old Testament, because you can see that in the Law of Moses, that's the first five books, and you get the prophets and the Psalms. So that is basically the Old Testament. And he used that to teach them things, and so they can understand the Scriptures. And if you know the Old Testament, uh, hopefully you do by now, basically almost 80% or so what is Old Testament quotes. 
that the writers quoted from the Old Testament. So there's only about 20% new revelation actually. So the Old Testament we mustn't throw away. Let's follow Paul's example in Galatians 3. Just to get a little bit more context on this Old Testament. And how it should be used. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 24. And I think you all know this verse as well. Galatians 3.24 it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. So we need, we need the Old Testament to show us that we need Christ. So we need the Old Testament to show us that we need Christ. So that's, we need Christ, but you won't, you won't know you need Christ if you don't know the Old Testament. So it can be as your schoolmaster. And then also in 2 Corinthians 3.6, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 it says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, that is basically the Old Testament, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So there we see again, we shouldn't be ministers of the Old Testament. We should be ministers unto the New Testament because the letter killeth, that's the Old Testament, and the Spirit giveth life. Now, that is basically now the Old Testament also in a nutshell. So I've explained to you what, well, non-contextual is. You know what is context, so you basically you know now what is not context. And then also now what the Old Testament actually is about or about now we're going to dig in a few dangers that happens about this. So I've explained to you now an introduction. So now we're actually digging into this lesson because the title is The Dangers of Non-Contextual Interpretation and Application of the Old Testament in the Christian's Life. So just before we hit this five, there's five points, there might be, there can be a lot more. I just took five main points that I've seen and that I've stu- how I studied this topic that I've seen is the most main ones and some of the sub ones can fall under these but they might be more so you might come up with a lot more than I do but I think for time's sake as well we won't go through 30 of this so but just from the bat just the introduction to these dangers if you take if you want to um, read verses out of its context and use it then you can basically make the Bible teach what you want to teach what you want it to teach I mean if you are going to um, make the Bible teach what you want it to teach, then why read it? Why not write your own book and call it the Message Bible and call that the Word from God? Because that is basically what that is. So if you're reading a message this morning, I'm sorry, but that is the truth. So I don't want to step on toes, on, on toes but I also want to preach the truth. So that is basically what it is. The message, it is just some people that just wrote what they want and what they thought and say, okay, now this is actually what it means. And that is a big problem. Now, the first, now we're going to dig into the first danger. Well, the first one is you will doubt your own salvation. Now, basically, the Old Testament shows you have to work for your salvation because they had to keep a long list of things to actually stay righteous and actually be able to go to heaven. So they had to do all these things and constantly work for it. I mean, if you go through the book of Leviticus, if they do something wrong, they have to sacrifice it. And they have to yearly do sacrifices and keep this and keep this. And they were just a lot of things. And I mean, we will be exhausted if you have to do that. But nonetheless, basically what happened in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with His people. And that is the nation of Israel, the Jews. Now, a covenant is an agreement or contract between two parties, which in this case was between God and the Jews. And we can look... at that in Exodus 24, if you can turn there. Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 4. It says there, And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and builded an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed 
peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read, and read in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Now, as we read that, you can clearly see that was between God and the Jews. I mean, Moses took the book of the covenant and all the things they had to keep and he read, and he read all of them to them. Maybe they were there for a few days, but he didn't say it, but there were a lot of things they had to do. So he basically read it and he said, okay, now do you agree to this? And they said, yes, we agree to that. And that is what a covenant is, is an agreement or a contract between two parties. And this was now between God and Israel. And they said, yes, we agree to that. And Moses basically, almost like sometimes we will do, you will sign a contract or a handshake. They just used the sprinkling of the blood. And this is now the blood of a covenant. And at the end, you can see, at the end of verse 8, it says, which the Lord hath made with you. So it's the Lord made with them. So we can clearly see that this Old Testament covenant was between God and Israel. And that is clear as possible. This is, I don't think we can get it more clearer. And then basically we can quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. And just want to show you, this basically sums up the covenant. Thirty verse fifteen. Okay, so Deuteronomy thirty fifteen. It says See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. So there's two things. Well we can I'm just gonna call it life and death. Or you can say good and evil, but it is these two these two things. And then verse 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, and his statutes, and his judgments, and thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shalt be drawn away, and worship other gods, and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and ye shall... And that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days, and thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now that basically sums it up. You could either keep his commandments, and that is choose life, or not keep it and then you will perish. Now this will basically lead, because this is a sum summarization of the old covenant, how it works. If you choose it, you will have life. If you don't choose it, you won't have life. Now this will basically lead a New Testament Christian to think, okay, I have to work for my salvation and if I stop doing this work, then I will perish, and then I will die, and then I won't have salvation anymore. And that will also lead to that Christ's death is not enough. Because you will tell them, no, you have to get saved. And they will think, okay, great. And then they get saved. And after that, they will still believe, want to believe all these things. Because if you want to apply the Old Testament to your life, then you have to keep all these things. And then this will lead you to doubt your own salvation. And as you will look further on, you will also hinder other people to be saved. But we will get to that later because that's a different danger. But... So that is the first one, the first danger, the big one is you will doubt your own salvation. Because, well, we will get to that as well. But I have a, a colleague that I work for and he applies this to his life and he constantly wants to work for his salvation. He constantly wants to do this work and do this work and do this work. And can I have to do this so I can have um, the Lord's Supper this weekend. If I don't do it, I will not allow to do it. He has a lot of strength, but he constantly wants to work and he's not secure in his salvation. Because he thinks if he stops doing it, okay, now I'm in trouble. And that is not the case. Okay, so that is the first danger. Now, to the second one, it actually basically leads from the first one into this. It is no growth equals no fruit. Now, we know from basic discipleship as well, if you study the Bible, rightly dividing the word of truth, all those things, you will grow and you will have a solid foundation. So, further, if you want to apply just verses out of its context, there will be no growth. And we will look at that now, why it will be like that. We can quickly turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Now, basically, if you keep on working for your salvation, you will bear no fruit as well because you will not grow. I mean, if a baby tree never grows, you will never have fruit. Now, basically, what you will be is you will either be a baby or you will be a sweaty Christian. And we, uh, we don't like those two things. Baby just cries all the time, just complains, and wana, wana, wana. And in a sweaty Christian, they stink. So we don't want that as well. So I don't think you want to be one of those two anymore. But in Ephesians, sorry, I'm a little bit behind, but Ephesians 4, verse 13. Now we will see what we actually should do and what we should accomplish. Ephesians 4, 13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then verse 14, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby thy lying way to, to deceive. Now there we can see, we need to measure up to Christ, and we should no, not be children anymore. That is basically no growth. Because if you don't, um, get to the knowledge and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, then it leads to the next verse that we henceforth be no more children, then you'll be tossed to and fro. I mean, all these winds and all the, I mean, a baby tree, it will just blow out of its roots and, and then go be, um, be a tree in another place or just lie there and die. So that is basically what will happen if you don't, if you want to apply the Old Testament. You will never come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Because you will always think, no, God is a God of wrath and I have to keep all this and I should just keep on working and working for my salvation and you will not grow. Because that is how you grow if you study the word of truth and get to the meat of the word and all those things and that is what we need to. And that is why there is things like church hopping. I think you all are familiar with this term. That is basically someone can't decide in, what, in, what, in which church he wants to be because he will be tossed to and fro. The whole time will think, oh, this sounds good, I'm going to go to this one. And then I'm going to go to this one. That is the wind. It just This baby tree never grows, but it always just ends up at a different place and just keeps on um, church hopping and you will be so confused and never be able to measure up to the fullness of Christ and actually grow in the Word and be rooted deep enough. So that is the second danger. So the first one was um, doubt your own salvation. The second one is basically tied to the first one is no growth, no fruit. Then, the third one is, he will adopt rituals and enchantments. Now, if you want to apply the Old Testament, this is, this I can, there's so many stories I can talk about this, but you will make up rituals and enchantments. It's not even things that they have to do in the Old Testament. It is just basically seeing, for example, the story of Jericho, where they walk seven times around um, that, um, that walls, and they have to stay quiet, and at the end they blow a trumpet. Well, there's people that think, well, I'm going to walk around this thing, save in time, stay quiet, and at the end blow a trumpet and poof, suddenly whatever it might be, whatever circumstance, maybe it's someone in the hospital, now suddenly will stand up and walk. Those things doesn't work. And I promise you can, you can walk seven times seven around that bed. That person will, that person will maybe kill you and you will be um, lying next to him. Because that will be irritating. But people make up these rituals and enchantments. And also the people where we rent in their house, constantly he tells me throughout the week, oh, the rain has washed off our oil that we put on the walls and we have to oil it again for this weekend for trouble coming. And I thought, what are they thinking? And where in the Bible was this oil put on the door? I mean, that was in Egypt in the same place and that was a lamb's blood. So I don't know where they get oil, maybe for the smell of the blood. But well, if you want to do it, then do it right. So, but it still doesn't work. It was... Um, for one specific time and that was not even oil so you will come up all these rituals and I know people with this ram's horn they also blow it at night to keep away the devil I think the devil sits in the house and thinking why are you going outside and blow the horn I'm already inside you know what I mean but I don't think he's afraid of that ram's horn or whatever it might be that you blow so you will make up all this and this will become part of your life and the primary focus because constantly you want to just, okay, we have to buy um, some oil. Rather go outside and witness to someone than go on Black Friday, maybe he bought a whole package for the next year of oil to just put on his doorpost. I don't know what he did, but that is what you will end up doing. And then the big problem of this is you will turn your back on Jesus. 
Because you have all these rituals that works for you, in big quotation marks, and then you won't need him anymore. Because why do you need him anymore? Jesus can't do anything. I have my ransom, I have my oil, I have all these other things. Why do I need you anymore? And that is a big danger. And just to show you the counter argument for this, we have our own help, and that is in Hebrews 4. In Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. There is our help. Not all these rituals and things we have to do, nothing like that, because we have now our Savior, the one that is our help. And we can go just fall on our knees and pray to Him, and He will help you in a time of need. And that is what we need. And then we can quickly just turn to Hebrews 13. You're in the book now, just to show you again. Hebrews 13, verse 6. It says here, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Again, there we can see clearly that no rituals and nothing there's no commandment that says, just do this and it will help you in a time of need. It says, come to me in a time of need. So there we can clearly see again, Jesus is our helper. And if you want to apply this Old Testament things and adopt this rituals, you will turn away from him. And that is a big danger to do. And that will also lead other people to start thinking, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And that basically leads now into the fourth danger. And that is, people... Well, people on purpose apply this Old Testament to become Jewish. And this will equal no souls getting saved. Because at this guy that we rent from, he's also um, a colleague at my workplace. And there are a lot of people that come to me and say, Okay, so we're not allowed to eat pork. Well, why should we do that? So I'm not a Christian anymore because I don't eat pork. And that is what this guy made them to believe. Because he was, that is the only thing he hammers on. Don't eat pork. Don't eat pork. And put some oil on your doorpost. But never ever he's told them, you know what, Christ, Christ is the one that can save you. And they think, oh, so I have to put all this oil and things on. Well, some people will think, well, then I don't want to be a Christian. Or they will just start doing this and they will never get saved. And that is a big problem to do. And Well, we won't... We can look at this now. Just to show you about those three questions as well. We use this in basic discipleship as well, but you can get in your left hand Leviticus 11 and then in your other hand 1 Timothy 4. Leviticus 11 and 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now that is a big danger if no one is getting saved anymore. And that is what will lead, that is what it will lead to if you start, well, let me, let me just be careful if people really want to become Jews and don't eat pork, that's also not a sin. They, if, they, if, they want to, they, if they don't want, if they want to stay away from eating pork, that's fine. But don't come and proclaim it and tell, well, now I'm a Christian because I do this. And that is the big problem that this guy is doing. He says that is how it should be. And he actually, when he hears someone eat pork, he says, no, 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 we're not allowed to do that and stuff like that. And that is the big problem of this. Now, in Leviticus chapter 11 verse 7 now you all know about this how we will compare but just to show you that it is wrong what they are doing so Leviticus 11 verse 7 it says and the swine though he divided the hoof and be cloven footed yet he cheweth not the cud he is unclean to you of the flesh shall he not eat and the carcass shall he not touch they are unclean to you now that is basically what the verses are going to don't eat pork but go to First Timothy, but keep your place in Leviticus. First Tim- Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. You all know this. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified with the word of God and prayer. Now, that is basically how it is. And we can, click, we can quickly do this again just to practice. And if you are going to give discipleship, this is one of the points you will explain in that first lesson. But we can use the three questions I mentioned to you earlier as well. In Leviticus 11, who is speaking? Well, in, verse, in the first verse, And the Lord spake unto Moses. 
And then verse 2, the Lord told Moses to speak unto the children of Israel. And that is, so who is speaking? The Lord to whom? To the children of Israel, the Jews, and when? In the Old Testament. So that is basically that. And then 1 Timothy 4 verse 4, just in the first chapter, verse 1, who is speaking? Well, that's easy. Paul and then verse 2, unto whom? Timothy. And then when is it happening? Obviously, the New Testament. So just to show you that to become a Jew can be really dangerous because it doesn't apply to us anymore. All these things they had to keep. So if you really want to go that way, well then keep it to yourself. And that you can actually then, if you want to go study it later further on, you can go to basically Romans chapter 14 about the weaker brother and don't, don't come and proclaim and say, you know what, don't eat this, you're not allowed to do this because that's what the Bible says. Yes, the Bible says that, but to whom is it saying? Who should apply it to their life? So that is just that, Another thing, and then basically that will then blind sinners that they have to, again, work for their salvation and do all these weird things to actually, you know what, to be acceptable unto God. And what that will lead to, well, they will never get saved, but then they will keep on doing this work and think, you know what, maybe God will be okay with me. I'm putting a lot of effort in it. And then they won't need salvation because they will say, no, no, don't worry. I'm keeping the commandment. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm actually doing a great job. But if you really read the Bible... If you commit one of those things, you're in danger of hell. So that is not the case. Even if you put in your best effort, if you have done one thing against the law, then you should go to hell. There's not a sacrifice that can save you and that you can also get in Hebrews. The, go the blood of lambs and goats, it cannot save you. Only the blood of Christ. And that is what we need in our life. Now, just to show you again the counter-argument for this, in Acts chapter 15... Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Verse 10. It says there, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? In verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved, even as they. Now what is that yoke? Well, if you go, if you go read the whole context, but we can just, we can just um, turn your eyes to verse 5, and you will see what the yoke was. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circum circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Well, if you want to take the Old Testament upon you and want to keep it, you're actually putting a yoke upon yourself. And what this verse says is, um, there at the end of verse 10, it says, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. It was, it's actually impossible to keep all those commandments and live according to, I want to say, the Jewish people, all the, or let's say up to the standard of the covenant, of that old covenant that they made with us, uh, that God made with Israel. So it's actually impossible. And that is why Christ came to die on the cross for us. Or as he saw, okay, I need to make a, make a way for my people. I love them, so I'm going to come and die for them. And that is now the way. And don't put a yoke on yourself. And that is what people are doing. They just put a yoke on themselves. And this is this guy at my work. He just constantly is in, I want to say, in fear. He says, oh, oh, I've done something wrong again. Now I can't use the Lord's Supper this weekend. Oh, he's going to make big problems in my life. And all these random things he keeps on saying to me. I'm like, you're in stress for nothing. If that is your biggest fight, then wow. You don't know actually what is going on on the other side in the spiritual realm and all those things. And he's just fighting this, this well, I want to say this vain and useless fight. Because he's just doing all these things and the Lord sits there, you're doing nothing. You're actually irritating me. Because you, well, you tried to do this and I've made you this great deal of my son dying for on the cross. So why do you want to keep on doing that? And that is, and then just one last verse on this. Um, point Galatians 2.16 just to show you again about this and I think this is most of you might have memorized this verse but Galatians 2 verse 16 it says knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified I think in that passage there's a lot of times that it's mentioned don't do the works of the law. It will not help you. Only 
by faith by the faith of Jesus Christ and that is just a clear way to show you that if these people that want to keep the law and become the Jews doesn't help them anything they just become a earthly Jew that's all that they become I mean even some missionaries they just go to China and whatever places and they just they just adapt to the culture just to witness to the people and that is that is all that these other people are in. they just become a Jew but they don't help anyone with that they actually lead to no souls getting saved so that is a big danger if you want to proclaim that if you really want to do that put a yoke on yourself and keep it to yourself keep your yoke there at your home and don't eat your pork I love my bacon so I'm gonna keep on eating it so so yeah so that is their problem then but that is a big danger if you want to become a Jew and then no souls will be saved and then the last one you will have a limited or incomplete view of God now when, well most of the time not maybe not relevant to our church but it might be if you are here this morning and I'm going to um, say it you will maybe see if it's applicable to you but most of the times when people read the Bible they look for something that they can apply quickly and immediately in their life so they say okay I'm going to go into this day I'm going to write exams let's open let's open to Psalm and uh, yes this verse looks good okay yes I, I will I will pass the exam and that is basically what they how they read the Bible it's not to okay what can I learn from God today what can, what can he teach me? How can I be a better Christian? Or how can I help someone else? It is, how can he help me? Hmm, yes, yes, I want to take that verse. That's mine for the day. And that is the big problem of this. And then with that, we will look at that now. You will, you will miss the point and you won't learn more about God. You will basically, we, okay, I won't spoil it, but we will look at that now. So when you rip a verse out of its context, you will get a misinterpreted view of God. And we will look at that now now. We're going to look at a very famous coffee mug verse, Jeremiah 29:11. And this is most of, well, that is actually funny. At our wedding, we had a big family Bible open there, and we asked the people to go and highlight verses that they wanted to tell us. And that is the first place I just went to, and obviously it was highlighted, but it was just funny for me to see that. Now, in Jeremiah, let us just read the verse first. Then you all know if you maybe don't recognize it. But Jeremiah twenty nine eleven it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Now if you take that verse basically out of its context, you can make it teach a lot of things. Like literally a lot of things if you just take that out of its context. Now, just to summarize it, you can say, okay, well, this verse can teach me I, have a great, I will have a great life. No evil will come my way. I will always have peace. And, oh, there will be a perfect end for me. You know, when I retire, whew, I will stay there. I have my own island. You know, there's a, you can take this verse really far. And this is what it can help you to teach. Now, recently, Pastor Mike have mentioned it, but about two months ago, I bought the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, this is a guy that wrote from, well, basically from this apostle's time, from the book of Acts until, well, recently he wrote about all the Christians that were martyred throughout the ages. And if you go and read that, and Pastor Mike have mentioned that as well, it is really brutal. So I'm not going to mention the things that happened to you, because I promise you some of you might not sleep tonight. Or you will become depressed if you just hear what happened to those Christians back in the ages. Now, I wanna t I'm going to ask you to, maybe if you can time travel, take this verse and show it to them. And say, so you see, see what the Lord has promised? And that will be a big problem because they, when they get to heaven, then they're going to say, God, stop with, uh, let, let, just before the judgment seat of Christ, let us just have a talk before that. I want to ask you, why, did, why, did, why didn't this happen to me? Where were my expectants and why didn't I have peace? And then they will start doubting and thinking, no, that this can't be, this is false. And they will start hating God if you could travel back in time and show them these verses. And obviously with people in this life as now as well if you go and tell them this will happen to you then then how do you explain suddenly no okay um sorry about this that happened to you and sorry that you're sick and now sorry about this sorry about it what what then what if bad things happen in life what do you do then because you've already put a misinterpreted view of god in their minds now what do you do now now you have to unexplained okay no but this verse doesn't really apply to you cannot do that now suddenly and just to give you the context, this verse is n talking nothing about you and me. It's talking about the Jews. If you go read the, um, this whole passage, it's talking about the Jews that, has been ca 
that's being held captive and they will be and they will um, be freed from captivity that is basically that expected and that he applied to these these Jews and it's also talking about another time where, where they will have peace and not evil so it's not even talking about this life and to me and you so that is basically when you take that verse out of its context you can apply it to your life and then you will run in a lot of troubles now just to show you about on this verse about all these peace and stuff let's go to Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9 Acts chapter 9 verse 16 Acts 9:16 It says there For I will show him now uh, show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake Okay now what about Jeremiah 29:11 now Okay so then I don't want to be in Christ anymore if I'm going to suffer for his name's sake You see what I mean and then just another place, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1 verse 29. Now this might be scary for some of you if you haven't realized this, but Philippians 1 29 it says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him. See, you shouldn't only believe on Christ, but also to suffer for his sake okay so that is what we're actually supposed to do well it was also not speaking about you should just go through life miserable and just suffer around each corner but you should suffer for his name's sake and that is not that now now again going back to jeremiah 29 11 what do you do with that verse now if you want to apply it to your life and say now this is what christ is and that is how you will get an um misinterpreted view of god and limited and incomplete view of god because if you have been in bible school recently what Garrett taught about um, theology he there was a whole topic about what God is and he's not only love he's this as well and it's not only that he's this as well and you have to get that complete view otherwise you will think that he's only love and no justice or he will always forgive you doesn't matter what well you need to be you need to get saved to be forgiven of this hellfire you cannot think well I don't need to accept Christ but you know he's a loving God he will always forgive well that is not true he's also just and holy and he cannot let a sinner into heaven you understand that so you need to get that complete view and if you have a misinterpreted view again it will lead to maybe no salvation for you because you will think well he's only love and he will always forgive okay well why do i have to get saved then what is the purpose of getting saved then i can go and keep all the old testament commandments because you know what god will forgive if i don't do this work ah i'll maybe maybe i'll do it next year god will forgive and that is not true. Or, as most of people think, oh, he's an ATM machine. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Well, <laughs> that is not what that verse is saying if you read the context. It's not ask anything and it will be given unto you. But I promise you, if you ask today, Lord, if I go out here, give me a sinner on my path today. He will give you that. You, will, you should ask according to his will. And then he will give. I promise you, if you ask him, Lord, give me 10 sinners this week. He will probably give you 20. He will give you that... It, um, <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm not going to even say that. But uh, you won't have space anymore, room enough to receive. They will sinners come all the way into your office. But nonetheless, so that is what that means. So, and then this will also lead, and this, this is one of the biggest dangers. People get angry at God. And they say, why, why, didn't, why didn't you follow through with your promise? You said, I will have no peace, no evil, expected end. Now, what if there's some people that go into the retirement and unto death and there wasn't an expected end in that retirement that he think God promised him. So people will get really angry at God and say, you know what, you didn't follow through with your promise. What's the deal now? And then that will lead people to go away from Christianity or their kids and they won't bring up the kids anymore in Christianity because these promises hasn't worked. Well, I want to promise this, I want to put that in quotation marks because God hasn't promised us, it to us. And well, in a broad sense, he didn't even promise it to them. If you read the context, it didn't apply to their whole life and they will have this great life. So that is a big problem. Now, just in conclusion, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Timothy 3.16. And this basically concludes this whole topic. It says, All Scripture... Is given by inspiration. Did I say the Second Timothy three sixteen? So 
want to make sure. Okay. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that means all scripture is good. It's not, it's not bad. But let's see what the verse says further. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And that is what scripture should do. It should, first of all, you should get doctrine from it. That is, rightly dividing the word of truth and getting the right doctrine to apply to the right people. And then another thing for reproof, to actually show you that you are a sinner and also for correction, to tell you, you know what, you're not living anymore in God's will, you should do this more, pray more, whatever the case might be, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, and that perfect means complete. That means that you are, I want to say, a complete Christian, that you have everything balanced, and that is what the scripture should do. Not pull out this verse and say, I want to apply it today to my life. That is not how it works. You have to have this doctrine and reproof and all those things, and to reprove you to get saved. And then the Old Testament, well, we are in Timothy, so just go to First Timothy. This will be the last verse we will be turning to. Just to show you again, now in the broad sense, how you can apply. You can, I want to say in quotation marks, you can apply the Old Testament to your life. But through this verse, as we're going to read it now. 1 Timothy 1 verse 8. 1 Timothy 1 verse 8, it says, But we know that the law is good. Okay, so the Old Testament is good. If a man use it lawfully. And then verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And that is what it should be used to to show a sinner or a lost person to get to Christ. And that is how you can, I want to say, apply the Old Testament to your life. By applying to show someone, you know what, you see that they, all the things that we have to keep and you are falling short of this. Now let me show you. There's Christ that came into the middle that gone away with this old covenant. Now we have a new one. And that is just believe in Christ and get saved and then you will have eternal life. Amen. I think that is this topic. Let us just have a word of prayer. Father, we, we want to thank you that you've given us this book and that you put line upon line that we might understand your word and know you better, Lord. And I want to ask that we use it that way to when we read your word, Lord, that we might read it that we understand you more and get a complete view of who you really are, Lord. And Thank you for your son that died on the cross, Lord, that we don't have to apply this Old Testament to our life, but that we have this blood that has washed us clean from our sins, Lord. And I ask that you bless us now as we're going to have fellowship, and please bless the next service to come that we might stay focused for that as well. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.